You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organization pursuing real learning, original scholarship, and thoughtful living in a dying age. Welcome to another broadcast of The Best Revenge, which is shorthand, of course, for Living Well is the Best Revenge. When I originally thought of this podcast series, of course, we were going to do mostly poetry, fishing, etc., and instead we've been feeding our gut the whole time, with a few exceptions, and we'll try to build in some, some variety. We've had a lot of very good feedback, however, from our subscribers and listeners who have enjoyed our sessions with Chef Garrett, now at The Motto, or Il Motto Restaurant in uh, Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Chef. Thank you. I thought of many witty uh, titles uh, for this program on uh, smoking pork, but our, our friend Professor John S. Reed, who is turning into the world's expert on, uh, on Southern barbecue, uh, has preempted most of them, like the Holy Smoke and uh, all these other things. So we'll won't be clever, and we'll just talk about smoking pork. Now, we think of uh, smoked pork barbecue as something quintessentially American, and by American I mean, I mean New World, because I think almost everybody knows that they do something in the Caribbean. But uh, how, how accurate is this perception that smoking meat, you know, that uh, for any purpose, bacon, uh, which we've done a show on, bacon, sausage, especially uh, ham, and uh, that, that, this, that this method of cooking is, how American is it? How far back does it go? goes back to um, a lot of Native American tribes uh, used it as, as a preservation method when they butcher animals because putting an intense amount of smoke on you know a piece of bison would make it last four months as opposed to weeks. So are you saying that it, it is American and that, uh, for example, Native Americans lived on basically old, somewhere between the old Stone Age and the new Stone Age in their cultural development? Are you saying that Stone Age men in Europe and Africa didn't, didn't smoke meat? I think if they did, it was incidental, and they might have figured out. Um, I think I think they de- and this is all guess. But I yeah, think if I got- had a buzzer, it would be going. Eh. Actually, there's. Uh, I bothered to uh, do a little homework. There is considerable evidence for on uh, Paleolithic and Neolithic sites that, especially cave dwellers, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of evidence of smoke, smoked meat, and cured meat. So it, it seems to be one of mankind's earliest uh, food preservation and cooking techniques. The speculation is it came about by accident. You've got a, you're cooking, you've got a wood fire in a cave and there's no place for the smoke to get out. So your, your meat is going to be uh, pretty smoky, whatever you do, and that they began to develop a taste for it. And secondly, they began to realize that it lasted longer. And so it's nobody knows how far back it goes, but there seems uh, and it certainly exists in China. And so smoking is uh, goes way back. I I was going to say exactly that before you did the buzzer (laughs) that I'm sure they figured out incidentally that the meat lasted longer when it was, you know, when it saw an intense amount of smoke or something like they found cheese that is uh they found uh, instances of cheese that go back. I think they just found a uh, uh, what do they call it? Like a fossilized piece of cheese that goes back something like seven thousand years. Hmm. What does it taste like? That just. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Uh, not too good. The what we uh, I've been looking as you know I've been doing a fair amount of reading on um, Greco-Roman and Middle Eastern uh, food preparation techniques. There, um, it, it's, it's not too clear uh, what the... Nobody has seems to have really taken this up as a subject. There are people, French, there are French culinary historians who claim that the Celts invented smoked meat. This is certainly not, or invented ha- smoked ham, smoked pork. Uh, this is certainly not true. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, my, our savage Celtic ancestors enjoyed it, but... 
uh, they probably, if anything, they would have learned it from the from the the Greeks in Marseille or from from the Romans. But certainly, they ate a lot of meat. They ate much more meat than the Romans did, so they would have probably enjoyed it. We do know. Just to cut this part short. Um, there are references to ham in uh, among Greek and Roman writers. Not much, but there are some. But because the, the question is, what does it mean? There are lots of sausage references going back certainly to Homer and then lots in Aristophanes. But are they fresh sausages, air-dried sausages, smoked sausages? And we really don't know. You, uh, we should do a, uh, in fact, we will do a show maybe in a month or two on sausage making, which you are uh, uh, an expert at. And the, um, you know, the Greek word for sausage is interesting, lukanika. And it's still used in parts of Italy, including even northern Italy, where they claim, of course, it's Celtic. But Lucan it comes from the region of Italy called uh, Lucania, modern Calabria, basically. But, but um, what was interesting was it was the Greeks there that, 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 that brought this sausage technique with them. And still, that, and in modern Greek, it's hilarious. You go into a store I mean, or a restaurant, you want sausage, you order ta lucanica. So it's uh, the the tradition is there, and the Greeks make wonderful sausage. They use weird things like orange peel and cumin, and you know it's very uh, delightful sausage, and it's different wherever you go. But uh, so lots of lots of people uh, make uh, sausage. So that's that, yeah. that's where McDonald's got it. What? McDonald's what? breakfast sausage is made out of maple syrup knockoff and orange juice into really crummy pork. Yeah, someday let me tell you what I think of maple syrup flavored bacon. Oh, I'm with you. What is the herb? There's, there's an herb that, uh, what is it? Is it um, fenugreek? Fenugreek? That, yeah, fenugreek. Uh, it, 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 it smells like artificial uh, maple flavoring. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But it's used a lot. It's used a lot in, that, uh, in, um, in, the, uh, in the Picious book. Yeah. By the way, not to not to bore our listeners to tears, there is a a couple of years ago a woman named Jane Granger came out who is a classical scholar came out with a new critical text that is she's gone over all the manuscripts, evaluated them, studied the text history, studied the context of of a Picious uh, cookbook, and I just got that two days ago and. I noticed on on uh, Amazon people complaining. This isn't a cookbook. No, it's a <laughs> it's a schol it's an academic scholarly uh, well done edition of a minor Roman writer. And she, so far as I could tell from what she she knows a lot and she knows what she's talking about. And she says, okay, it's a Roman cookbook, but I can prove that ninety percent of the recipes are of course Greek. Because everything on the <clears throat> on the luxury side of Roman life was more or less borrowed uh, from the Greeks, whether it's whether it's poetry or uh, or cooking. But she also, and I'm going to order this. She also has a book where, because she is herself an, uh, an amateur cook, and she has a book on uh, based on her study of Apicius on how to how to translate it into modern cooking. I have many such books already, but this yeah. sounds this sounds this sounds very much worthwhile. She's very very intelligent, very sober. I think Eleanor has it uh, and she was teaching it to her Latin class. And mm. I got Good. It sounded like the food they made was absolutely repulsive, but that's yeah. another story. So so we have so we have uh and of course Greek and Ro remember the the Greeks and Romans they didn't uh, they didn't have gas stoves or electric stoves. They only cooked over open fires. So, you know, it's like all they would have is a wood-fired pizza oven at the <laughs> to, to cook in. So all their meat was naturally going to have some uh, uh, smoky flavor. And it is not at all unlikely that they would uh, develop uh, an affection for this. And there are references in uh, great various Greek and Latin poems about pieces of pork being hung up, you know, to, so they were certainly air drying it. So let's, uh, let's get off uh, that. We're going to, we're going to bore our listeners with ancient cuisine uh, ad nauseum before too long. The, uh, let's talk about smoking in America. Okay, you talked about the Indians. I doubt that had 
much impact on the 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 uh, European settlers who really their their experience of Indians was not as especially positive. And if you look at what uh, how what Native American cuisine is like, you, we have lots of descriptions. You take a pot, you throw the squirrels or the possums in without skinning them, without gutting them. You throw it in, then you throw in the corn and the beans, you cook it all together. One Jesuit talks about trying to eat it, and as he scooped it, a human hand came out. So uh, <clears throat> they were not, shall we say, one of the worst aspects of Indian life would have been eating with them. So, when uh, in smoking developed, obviously, in the course of American history, give, give us a little sense of how it developed and where. Well, I think you're discounting the Native American influence to smoke on meat uh, and introducing it to the, to the settlers. And yes, most of their food was probably strange and gross and simple. Uh, but they did introduce them to preserved jerkies and smoked, smoked jerkies and things like that, which... Uh, I think by the time they came to getting, uh, you know, Caribbean Caribbean influences of whole hogs that would be yeah. buried in coals and stuff like that, uh, I think the notion was a lot less foreign to them because they had already seen what smoke could do to meat. Um, how this this affects, uh, you know, the barbecue at least is that. Um, which is not a preserved form of meat, no. and so you really, we really need to distinguish between smoking for flavor or smoking for preservation. Right? Um, is that that? And I think we should. I don't know. Maybe focus more on smoking for flavor because right. for, because preservation is is a totally long, longer history subject. Right. Uh, is probably there. Probably the whole uh, the whole pig roast from the Caribbean. So the barbacoa. Yeah, which then I, I guess uh, was was uh, the the word was picked up again. Um, I guess it's just translated from the Spanish, but in Mexican cuisine, that that ended up being kind of uh, barbecue in its own right in Mexico, which is totally different than you know just tra- translated what they were doing in in uh, in the Americas way back then. So, let's talk specifically about. Um smoking meat for flavor in America, not not drying jerky, etc., but uh, but smoked meat for flavor, um, which means, you know, cooking it, it's cooking it's we're, we're going to get into the details later, but cooking it slowly over a fire with a lot of smoke so that it takes on flavor. What <clears throat> where does this develop? I mean, well, I think it comes from the islands uh, yeah. and they where they would do uh, they would dig holes and bury whole pigs. They would wash the pigs, uh, you know, take the fur off. Sometimes they wouldn't, and then they would just bury it with uh, with coals and like either banana leaves and then coals. But they would create the kind of, you know, we always do indirect heat by you know putting the meat usually above above the smolder, and in this circumstance, it would be below it. Yeah. Um, but it would it would achieve the same results. Um, and it would, they would cook. They would unbury the pig at the end of the day, and everybody would have. Uh, although I've never seen, I've never had it, but I, I'm guessing that everyone would have, uh, you know, super tender, moist meat that then they would, uh, you know, season up as as they saw fit. Uh, as it applies to the United States, um, they would uh, from the islands. They would always season things with lime juice, um, yeah. and clearly we didn't, you know. They didn't have at limes were were not as as outside of ubiquitous. Florida, yeah, no, yeah, but they didn't have them everywhere, and so although they, they you know although I'm sure they were using some things, that's why why vinegar became a much cheaper alternative, um, and that's why that's kind of ubiquitous in a lot of even if you don't can you know however you view it, ketchup has vinegar in it, so the ketchup based sauces vinegar vinegar like the Carolina stuff has it in it, uh, mustard has it in it, like almost every barbecue variety. In the United States, has vinegar as a key component, and I think it was mostly um, financial reasons or just convenience reasons for not using the uh, the fresh citrus. Uh, you referred to uh, uh, Carolina barbecue, and of course, there are many different kinds of Carolina barbecue depending on where in the Carolinas you are. But and uh, and of course, it's uh, really taken off, say, in the past 50, 60 years, uh, all, all over uh, most of the southern states. Although not so much, say, Alabama and Mississippi, but you know, well, they have the they have the white sauce, Alabama yeah. white sauce. Yeah, <laughs> let's 
Yeah, I, I don't know which is more. You know, I, the 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 mustard sauce is bad enough in in South Carolina. Um, but um, do we do we? I I have no idea what like for example. Uh, in the 1850s, when you when you when you had barbecue, what did you when you what, like at the beginning of Gone with the Wind? They go to the Wilkes's plantation for barbecue, and and by the way, don't, don't somebody might say, oh well, what would this this uh, silly woman writer for the 1920s and 30s? What would she know about this? Actually, I uh, <clears throat> I spent some time last summer going through Gone with the Wind, looking for reference, because I just wanted to use it as a convenient point of reference. So I looked at things about different aspects of Southern social life. And when you when you line up what is said in Gone with the Wind with what is said by the best social historians, by, by 19th century diarists, I mean, Margaret Mitchell knew what she was talking about. So... So what 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 what, do you, what would they have served at the Wilkes's barbecue? Do you think it seems it it goes back further than that? Yeah. I was reading in the uh, in John Shelton Reed's latest book, the one labeled Barbecue, how uh, George Washington um, claims to have won you know like twenty six dollars in in a in a poker game at a barbecue in in somewhere in Maryland. Yeah, uh, and the barbecue as it would have stood. Was uh, it was it was run by they had a pitmaster even back then it would it would have been one of the slaves who was dedicated towards turning the and by this point they're not burying the pig anymore they're cooking it over flame and there's somebody that's in there it's it's very very close to kind of a whole hog barbecue in North Carolina because they would carry they would uh, cook the pigs whole over flame flames until they were tender and then they would be uh, and they would be interchanging logs and moving them around so they wouldn't be seeing open flame they would be seeing more smoldering coals did they, did they, they ha- did they have a spit I don't think I remember reading anything about having a spit but it was a is like a it's like a large grill I'm yeah. sure they had I mean of course they had spits yeah, but spit I don't ro- know how spit they, roasting yeah. meat was the overwhelmingly the common way of uh cooking uh, cooking a, a joint of meat in uh, in uh, uh, 18th century England and much earlier, and in Scotland, and you anytime you tour an, an, an historic house, you can see this spit thing. And in uh, in Edinburgh, I remember seeing a uh, rich person's house in the early 19th century, and they had figured out a way of using the hot air rising to propel a machine that would actually uh, turn the spit uh, on a slow, regular basis. So certainly. Maybe maybe where uh, our first president uh, attended the barbecue, maybe they didn't have it. But certainly, in a in any like baronial mansion in Virginia or Maryland or South Carolina, they they certainly use spits in their fireplace for cooking. But you have to remember that's a different. It's yeah. The difference between barbecue and grilling is essentially a spit roast is a form of grilling, and even though it's not direct direct heat, it's much closer yeah. to it is direct heat. Yeah. It's just slow enough direct heat that you're not burning it and clearly that's why it's on a spit so you can turn it yeah so it doesn't get burned have you ever had uh, mexican you know i, I once tried to uh, smoke uh, a big haunch of goat and uh <laughs> it, it was a disaster because what do they call it cabrito yeah, the, yeah well that's the kid yeah the, the, the which is very delicious i've had that in mexico and in mexican restaurants but but um i got the inf- I got the uh, instructions from uh, Jose at the Irish Rose, and so he described it. And you know, you dig a hole, you put the goat. You know, you build, a, put the goat in, build a fire, and you, you, oh, you put the you put the goat on uh, on cactus leaves, and that that you know those thick, thick succulent uh, things. Oh yeah, and that both flavors it, but also protects the meat. So your sister Molly said, "Well, how how would you use a smoker?" And he knows what a smoker is, but he looked at her and he said, are you kidding? We don't have smokers in Mexico. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, it would be interesting to go to a real, uh, to a, a, a real Mexican barbecue where they, where they be- see, because, you know, what, these, this thing requires probably a good deal of traditional lore to bring it off right. And mine was greasy because I didn't cook it slow enough. Yeah, you might not have rendered all the fat Right, out. right. Okay, where's the, if you wanted to... Well, we're talking about pork barbecue. Where, what, where? If you wanted to eat pork barbecue, what, what parts of the United States would you go to? Well, clearly both Carolinas. Yeah. Um, let's see who else. Uh, and it, it's 
you know, there's, it, there's so many different different ways of what, what do you mean? Are you talking whole hog? Are you talking pork shoulder? Are, if, are, do both those count but not pork ribs? Or does all of it No, count? I would count. Well, we're count for, for the, the purpose of this discussion. We're talking, we're not talking about just whole hog, which is technically the correct, uh, the, the, the correct usage. But most people are, are, are not going to do that. Although some, some bar, a lot of barbecue joints come close. But no, we're talking any, you know, any, any, you know, butt or shoulder or any large, including ribs. Well, I mean, North Carolina is your place to go. I mean, everybody, I'm sure <clears throat> you have, uh, you know, you have St. Louis ribs. So that's in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, but clearly they kind of have, they're, they're focused on, you know, sweeter ketchup based stuff. Yeah. Uh, you have Memphis. Um, Memphis does a lot of barbecue. Uh, and there are a lot of people that do, you know, you have Texas that's known for For the places that are known as just kind of the purest places, it's Texas does beef yeah. and, North, and the Carolinas do uh, pork. And, well, as I told you before, our, our friend John Reed doesn't like places that do both. And, uh, and of course, <laughs> that's, that's, that's taking purism perhaps even a step beyond where I would like to take it. But I'll, 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 gi- I'll give him that. So let's talk about equipment. If you wanted to, uh, let's say you're uh, somebody with a suburban house in middle America and you've never done any smoking before, you may have grilled before, um, what, if, if, you, if, you were a, if you were a billionaire, what would you get? If you were a billionaire, well, okay, a millionaire. If you're a rich doctor, what are you? Do, what uh, and, and who isn't going to be persuaded by Jim Cracks? Well, if if you're willing to spend a fair amount of money, what sort of dream smoker would you get in order to cook your uh, your your pork butt? Well, I was actually unaware they made it, but the very famous kitchen company Viking mm-hmm. had a uh, had a series of smokers, which uh, which again, your friend John Reed was talking. Telling me about as he owns one is a self-feeding uh, kind of log log smoker where you stack up the logs and uh, you start you ignite one at the bottom and once it starts to smolder to the point where it becomes crushable from the weight of the other ones another log will come down crush it and begin to smolder so you're creating nothing but a mountain of smolder and the weight itself will kind of feed the smoker. Uh, it's a br- brilliant idea, um, and I'm pretty sure those are ridiculously expensive. Like 10000 Yeah, uh, my guess is would, it would probably I, – I, I didn't ask. Uh, yeah. I know that you, they have – there's definitely the, uh, the competition barbecue smokers can go up to, you know, 20000 40000 probably more. Mm. Um, but those are massive, you know, rotating boxes um, – and those are the, yeah, that's that's those are ridiculous ones. And you're just talking about the ones that, that are uh, that are not propane, but just wood only. Right, right, right. Yeah, of course. So let's say uh, we're not quite at that level, but you know, like I know a lot of of, of my uh, some well-to-do people at Rockford. They they like the uh, the the egg. What is it? Uh, the, the- oh yeah, that's a pretty. The only problem with the egg for me is the size. Um, which is not – they still have them relatively large, but those are uh, uh, what they're ceramic eggs. They yeah. build up an incredible amount of uh, heat, but you can control it. And uh, it creates – it creates uh, kind of – it creates a smoke box where you're doing uh, – you get to control the heat at a really, really high level. Um, and because it's made out of ceramic, I think it's made out of ceramic. Yeah. It holds in all the heat really, it's really well. It's, very, it's hundreds of pounds of weight. Yeah. yeah, you you have the ability to to exhaust it in such a way that you can really kind of control your control your yeah. cooking. You can't have it in the house or even on a porch. People have burned down their houses because apparently because it's it's so hot. And uh, I mean, the company is very specific about what what you would have to do to put it into a house, but um, or onto a porch, but. Uh, my, I've looked at them and I've thought about them, and you know, uh, none of them has a firebox that could hold logs. They, in fact, people tend to use uh, what wood chips or pellets, right? And that's you know, the issue with that is the uh, amount of times you have to keep on feeding it, and that you know, I don't know how much you're 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 cooking on a lot of uh, 
A burn. I mean, depending on how you're adding it, you're cooking on the the charcoal's nice because it is smoldering technically as soon as the flames are out. But ideally, what you're cooking over should be smoldering wood, which some of the compact charcoal is. It's already like compacted, you know, burnt wood. Right. Um, but obviously, the best way to do that is to have a firebox where you are able to, you know, ignite your logs, cook them into smoldering embers, and then have a smoke box connected to your smoker yeah, yeah. that you are feeding with these smoldering embers. And so that way you can get very, very large embers that are smoldering, which will last you a longer time um, than just chunks of charcoal and wood chips. So you want an offset firebox, as they, they usually say. It's to, it goes That's, to the side. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. There's di- there's different varieties, but I mean the the, the thing I don't like with the uh, you know do it yourself on the grill method is that there's always I mean there's always going to be hot areas depending on where your exhausts are, but yeah. when you have an open smolder, uh, you know you have to come back and turn your meats or move your move the charcoal around or move your wood around, uh, whereas you have an offset firebox, you know at least um, you know at least where the hottest parts are. Now you like uh, you. I mean, d- down at not very expensive. You like the uh, the Oklahoma Joe line, right? Yes, I think the. I mean, that's I've used those for the last. I've used a couple of those, and I just feel for. Um, right now, I'm using one that's basically a take on that with a lot of you know whistles and doodads on it that costs about six times as much. Um, but the Oklahoma Joe is heavy gauge steel. It's got a nice offset firebox. Um, I've never had an issue with it ever it's a very kind of matter of fact no no whistles or doodads uh and it holds i like the gauge of the steel it usually comes on heavy heavy rubber wheels so they're mobile okay so it's still it's still because i've read complaints that oklahoma joe used to have much heavier gauge steel in there now they're made in china and it's lighter steel but you're saying that basically if you buy one today it's still comparatively heavy yeah, if you get if you go to a you know Walmart parking lot and look find a smoker, you'll find something that with a sledgehammer you could knock in a half with a good whack, um, or put a good dent. And I'm saying that it would take you multiple multi. You could you'd have to go with the framing on an Oklahoma Joe to really to really put some damage. So how many? Uh, but you know, every heat causes metal to wear out, and you know it oxidizes. Yep. So I'm not going to ask you how how many months one of these things will last because you smoke you've been you've been sometimes smoking like four or five times a week or even continuously. So how many how many like 24 hour smoking periods or let's say 12 hours? How many 12 hour smoking periods would you get before you wanted to replace it because the uh, the metal was caving in? Well, let's see. With no absolute besides the discoloration. On the firebox, from uh, the metal starts looking opalescent. Um, you know, on the hottest parts, sure. but it still held its form, and there's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no shape differences. Nothing yeah. started to bend or anything like that. Uh, the last Oklahoma Joe that I have, which has been in use um, five to six days a week for twelve to eighteen hours, mm-hmm. uh, has been three and a half years old with no, uh, absolutely no. There's not. I mean, there's the, the rust comes from like we can wash it off. Sure. There's no rust. There's no damaging rust. There's water, and we we left it outside. So most of the rust is just leaving it outside. Yeah. So for for the average person, we're talking twenty years. I would say 20, I would be surprised years. if it didn't last twenty twenty five yeah, years. Yes. Because I've looked at others that are uh, like three times as expensive. The only thing I don't like about the Oklahoma Joe is I can't use fireplace-sized logs, so I'd have to either cut them myself or. Well, that's the issue that I have with this one. That my box on um, uh, the box on the Oklahoma Joe was I could fit a good. Yeah, I think I, I had a a maybe twenty-inch firebox. Really? Okay. Oh. So, 20 inch firebox you can fit yeah that's like plenty. 22 in, you can fit 22 inch logs in it which is pretty normal yeah that's a large log uh at an angle yeah Good. yeah but i'm i'm dealing well, i think what i have right now is like 15 or 14 inches or maybe 16 yeah. and it's uh i have to i have to really cherry pick my logs to get it in there 
Yeah, or I guess you could order wood or something, and have, but then you're, you're talking about paying money and getting into a, a lot of trouble. Let's say you don't have much money and all you got, can you smoke successfully, as people tell me they do, on a, on a, on a decent grill and then sort of put... put yeah, of, of course, I mean, you can, you could do the offset method where you, you know, you build a fire on one side yeah. of your grill and then you let it smolder and the thing is it's it's a lot easier if you have a firebox and even yeah. if you get one of those steel drums you know that would work too just one of those old you can get those on amazon for like 40 bucks and just you know have a hobo fire and just use a, a garden shovel and that helps with the size of the logs too because once they're smoldering you can break them up with the shovel yeah we it- use yeah we use the pizza oven but not everybody has an italian wood fire pizza oven uh, well, yeah. So, what would you do if you have a? You'd put the meat on the grill. Then, how do you get the smoke in from the from the from the drum? How do you get the smoke into the? So you get your embers. Once your embers are yeah. smoldering, yeah. Uh, they give you that night. You're not having that pluming, burning wood smoke, which you do not want because that just creates soot, which yeah. creates bit. Uh, but but you want you want a a what are the the barbecue guys always refer to as thin blue smoke? Yeah. Um, I don't. I've never seen the. I guess I kind of see the color blue. I've seen it, you know, hundreds of times. I, I kind of get what they're saying. I think blue might be a little bit of a over, oversimplification of the color. But you get if you have smoldering wood that's not actually burning wood, then you put that in the furthest corner from your grill. Mm-hmm. And then some people like mark it off with, and then you put your your meat on a grill at the opposite. It end. Yeah. And then you really carefully control your temperature at that point. Don't overload your box. And those are, you can of course do it. It just takes more tension. And yeah. Yeah. most people that I see do that method that are using charcoal straight with, you know, which I don't. Dial which light. is yeah. Yeah. What about, you know, people do, in the old days, they'd get an old uh, oil drum or whatever and cut it off, you know, uh, so you'd have half oh, an yeah, oil Oh, yeah. The best, the, the guys, uh, the guy that the most famous guy in Texas barbecue right now uh, runs a place called uh, Franklin's Barbecue, and if you get his barbecue book, he's got you know he's got designs for I think like like twelve. I mean, it's I, I think it's hilarious that he shares these because they all involve you know a mag welder and having those steel drums, <laughs> and you know because no one's going to do it. I mean, yeah. you have to be That's Texas, you don't have though. to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like he's giving you the keys to these beautiful smoker you know that he designed and he built but i think he does that with the knowledge that very few people are going to go ahead and, and copy his designs yeah. it's sort of um you know it, it reminds me of the famous r- recipe for uh Ser- serbian chicken first steal a chicken yeah <laughs> <laughs> so for, first get yourself a mag welder yes so uh um all righty, um, let's move on to uh, what kind of cuts of meat for the home barbecuer? Uh, is just one cut, or do we, do we have choices? For We're talking about now about pork. Well, the, the, the pork shoulder is usually the, uh, if you're not going to go for a whole hog, which you probably shouldn't because no one's going to have yeah. a, a grill set like that, uh, pork shoulder is the easiest. And honestly, it's my... Uh, we don't have to talk about it. I'm sure I, I disagree with a lot of people, but I prefer the pork shoulder to the whole hog for the simple fact that that very often, more often than not, the uh, the skin as you cook it whole hog method does not get crispy. It's not meant to get crispy, so you have a an edible kind of chewy skin that has some smoke on it. Whereas when you have the naked pork shoulder which you get is known as bark and the yeah. fat takes on the lovely crisp to it and it's uh i don't I, and i don't even know if the whole hog guys refer i don't think they do refer to it as bark when no. they when you get the skin and it's not a crackling it's not like a it's not no. like a duckling pig crackling it's just skin well um, i'm you know i've um sometimes if you get a you know a whole pork butt it'll have the skin on oh yeah and I've I've done that, and what I usually do is I take it off half of it as as much as I can, and then uh, go from there. And uh, that way, I you know I can I can taste sort of both sides. But uh, so uh, the the whole pork butt, what what is that weigh? That weighs what about ten twelve pounds, fourteen pounds? Well, it can be 
what size pig are you you know like yeah. are you are you getting a commodity pig so if you get a commodity pig you can get it up to you know 20 pounds yeah. um if you're getting a you know a nice like a 200 pound pig's probably going to yield you a you know my guess is probably like an eight to ten pound you know pork shoulder right 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 so what if you uh what if you only want to cook you, you know you, you you don't have a family of two three hundred so you would go out and buy what? It's just like five pounds of pork shoulder. What's the smallest that would be would be? Well, worth one, doing? if you do it right, a family of four is going to demolish some barbecue. Well, that's and true. <laughs> one and two, it loses. You're talking about just like uh, just like charcuterie. You're talking about at least a twenty five percent loss. Yeah. So if you have a you know and and if you really want the you know some delicious flavor most people you know prefer to use a bone in yes. pork shoulder. Yeah. And so you have the bone to worry about, you have the loss to worry about. And so you're if you're looking at an 8 pound pork shoulder you might end up with 4 pounds of meat. Yeah. Yeah. Which will serve uh uh well it'll, it'll I was going to say it'll serve uh serve uh eight eight normal people and uh and uh, three Rockford poles, but uh, that, so uh, yeah, it depends. I've had sometimes I've been astonished. You know, I'll cook eight pounds of meat, and somehow I'll have six people for dinner, and somehow it's gone. Yep. Yeah. Then you do it right. So if you're what what anything else? Any other cut that's worth using? Well, you could smoke. Uh, you know, uh, the hams. I mean, clearly that's not barbecue, yeah. but the ham can be broken down in the same way. Um, there's different ways people usually like to brine their hams or cure them before they smoke them. Uh, but that's a lot of people don't usually cons- I mean, you could get approximate what tastes exactly like barbecue. Uh, there's just not as much as on the shoulder. There's a lot of intermuscular fat and there's fat lines and there's collagen and things like that. Whereas in a ham, it's a lot of, uh, lean and fat. Yeah, and it's in a pig, so it's got a lot of fat no matter what. Um, but it will, uh, it'll, it'll just cook slightly differently. Yeah, I've done, I've done uh, hams uh, uh, several times. Of course, as you know, sometimes when I uh, and uh, I, what I'm really making is a like a seven eight hour smoke flavored pork, and it's not, re- it, it doesn't fall apart. It has to be sliced like a roast. It is, it's absolutely delicious. It's not, it's not barbecue, but it's, I, I still like it. On the opposite end, you could smoke a pork belly, uh, and pork bellies come out delicious. And if you season it up like barbecue, you definitely want to trim the majority of like the exterior fat. But at that point, why, you know why it's it's delicious on its own as long as you don't mind this like the the tender smoked fat. Yeah. What about um, uh, ribs? I mean, uh, the- of course, yeah. You could. I mean, you could smoke any part of the pig. We we did a smoked pig head, pig head taco dish, where we smoked <laughs> a pig head. Uh, we were getting all these pig heads, and we'd smoke them all day with our barbecue. And then, you know, for thirty bucks, we'd put a big fork and a knife in the pig head, and give you a bunch of uh, you know steak knives and a stack of tortillas with some fixings. And you know, it would feed you know three to four people. Hmm. And you get to you get to eat the head on the, the meat on the flesh on the head the cheeks the snout uh, you, you could smoke anything on a pig. What about if you we're talking about pork? But um, if you were smoking beef, uh, obviously the, the 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 choice cut is usually the brisket. Is there any other cut you would smoke? I've seen smoked. Um, yeah, I've seen. What else have they seen? They have uh, the cesena. It's a Spanish preparation where they hold uh, – and it's traveled to to, uh, to uh, Latin America where they would take essentially one of the, the entire legs of a cow hmm. and they would hang it over the uh, – because traditionally they had wooden hearths where they would cook in the houses and they would hang it over the hearth for an extended period, you know, months – and it ended up being, and that's that's almost more like a piece of charcuterie than it really is a smoked than a, than a, a smoke preparation. But you also have for smoked like ready to eat preparations, you have beef short ribs. Beef short ribs are delicious when they're smoked. Really, never thought yeah, and of that's, that. They, they do that. They do that in Texas as well. You can get a big old. That's true. You know, that, yeah, and that that big old smoked beef short rib, and they're they're delicious. You know, when I when I was uh, younger. Of course, in the Carolinas, you're, you were used to be—I don't, maybe not now—but it used to be you were taught to despise 
uh, beef barbecue. And if you met a Texan and you said he liked, you know, he liked barbecue, and then you, you, you had the right to laugh at him and say, you don't even know what barbecue is, much less ha having a right to an opinion on it. So that was pretty much my view. And then during, uh, during a terrible period, I, was, I, was, uh, I had to go and face the draft board, and I was in California, and I had to get back to South Carolina, and there was an airplane strike. So I'm, I'm trying to get back, and, and uh, I'm waiting in line at the train station in downtown, downtown L.A. It, went, it, it couldn't get a train. So I ended up at the Greyhound station and got hooked up with a uh, Marine returning from like his second or third tour of duty in Vietnam. And this, it was from Arkansas. This man was just a little strange. As he, mm -hmm. as he told me about killing people with his bare hands. And he was the real thing. There was just no getting around it. Someday I'll, I'll tell this whole story. But we ended up zigzagging because you, you couldn't take a, bu a bus where you wanted to go. It was like sailing. You had to go like 45 degrees off where you were headed. So I ended up in da downtown Dallas. At, and, and he said, come on, let's go. And I said, where? He said, there's a great barbecue place in downtown Dallas. And he took me there, and it, it turned out to be famous, I mean, later on. And it, it was all stainless steel and white porcelain and very nice people, and they had smoked brisket. And I tell you, I, I changed my mind immediately. Oh, yeah. You, you have to remember the entire time that you were scoffing at, <laughs> at, uh, at barbecue in, uh, in the Carolinas coming from Texas. They were doing the same thing about Carolina barbecue yeah. in Texas. Yeah, except we knew that they were wrong. They were idiots because <laughs> they were Texans. You know, come on. No, no one believes a Texan. Uh, now, we, uh, you mentioned uh, in preparing a, uh, a ham, you mentioned brining. Obviously, that means to you know, soak it in salt water and whatever else you're adding to it. Uh, would you? What about a? What about pork shoulder? Do you advise brining or not brining? No, there's no need to. Yeah. There's. It's. Uh, it's. You know, it's already got all that beautiful fat in it. Um, one of the reasons that you do brine is to kind of get get uh, one. It takes the smoke a little bit cleaner, and those hams are so big that uh, you want to get to the very. You want to get to the very kind of core of them. So they have that nice rosy pink in the middle. And that's where hams are different from barbecue because barbecue is prided. Um, the meat's a lot more tender. And so like a good a good barbecue, you could, I mean, depending on where you're from, you either need to chop it or some people like it where you could karate chop it with your hand. Yeah. It gives that much pressure. I think pretty much that knows anything about a barbecue says by the time it's pull apart, like if you could just press it with your hand and it falls apart, then you've cooked it too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish but, I, I wish a lot of barbecue joints would learn that lesson. By the way, yeah, it's just easy because people think it's oh, it's so t it's so tender, um, but that's just not you know that's not that's a silly way to look at it. Um, so uh, the ham though is always going to be you know stiffer, and so the point in a ham is uh, when you brine it is to get the. You're kind of curing it. Yeah. You're curing the meat in a quick cure, to, and then it's going to take the smoke and get that bright pink of like those really nice, tasty hams all the way to its very center. So, how long would you brine a ham? A day, two days? What? How long? I brine. So there's there's recipes that have you brining hams for five days, uh, and I've also seen you know recipes. I've taken those same recipes, and my issue those recipes. Because oftentimes tell you try and get you to inject the brine into the center of it. Whereas what I found is that if you um, you debone the ham, that helps, or at least take out the the up to the H bone down to the joint, the 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 knee joint. Um, that helps. And the second thing is, I brine these hams four to five weeks at a time. Ah, okay. okay. And it really helps get the brine in, and it's you, you run the the. The possibility of getting it too salty, but I have yet to do that. Now, so we're not going to brine our pork shoulder. What about uh, uh, do you do you do? You, what about a marinade or a rub? Oh yeah, um, so that's really kind of different. Like I noticed in uh, we were just recently in Lexington, North Carolina, which I do like that they do pork shoulder, but I do not like that they just smoke. Their rub is just like uh, Texas brisket. It's just salt and pepper. Yeah. Um, what I prefer is a rub made of brown sugar, dry mustard, 
uh, cayenne, paprika, um, and that's about it. Uh, well, and clearly salt. But all these things are kind of uh, the brown sugar helps caramelize yeah. on the exterior and gets you that nice bark. And it, it makes uh, the, it makes and it, it makes the rub stick into the meat in a way that exactly. Otherwise, exactly. it might just start. It'll just start melting off as the fat comes off. And the rest has you know the rest of it has heat, so it, it just adds flavor. The what mustard kind of, adds some pepper. The pepper adds some pepper. The kind of you know. What kind of paprika do you use? Just a American commercial paprika, or do you use? Uh, I use uh, this this really well. We just made, we just made some. Uh, we made our own paprika uh, two days ago, and I really, really like the results. Uh, but I don't recommend a two day process no. of smoking and then dehydrating them and then grinding them. No. Um, there's a couple of imported ones that are a little pricey. One's called Vertu, uh, and that's otherwise. You know what? I've used plenty of times just the generic hot paprika that they have at the store, and I've ended up with great results. So Is that, that's like uh, Hungarian made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what that's 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 what I normally use because I'm too lazy to look for anything more. What about uh, a lot of people when they cook meat? They they use a wet marinade instead of a you know they. And would you do? Do you ever use that, or it's just a bad idea, or what? Well, we were talking about uh, ways to cook. Uh, you know the history of, of kind of barbecue, and if you know, like in the islands, uh, they're very famous for their jerk. Yeah, which is a method of a which is a delicious wet marinade, and I've yet to use one. I've used it on lamb, and I've used it on chicken. I have not used it ever on pork because I'm so happy with the results yeah. of dry rub. But in that method, you use uh, a lot of fresh thyme, allspice, nutmeg, garlic, uh, sometimes onion, scotch bonnet chilies, and then uh, lime juice. And the kicker is uh, white cane rum. Huh. And the cane rum really helps set in this flavor that when it gets smoked, takes it's it's unbelievably delicious. Yeah, but well, I mean, cane rum is rum. I mean, they oh yeah they, oh, they yeah. in different places. Like I was drinking this stuff in Brazil once, and they called it cane brandy. It was just Brazilian rum, you know, and not particularly distinguished, but mixed with fresh fruit juices, it tasted <laughs> fine, especially what, for breakfast. What's that really sweet one that they use in cop? What are they? What's the, what, what's, what's the Brazilian drink? Copper. Caparanas, or um, it's it, it is like a rum. It's um, but it's sweeter. Huh. Yeah, they were giving me various various styles of their cane brandy with very with mixing them with different fruits. This was at a very memorable brunch on uh, at the beach in uh, in event. Uh, uh, it was at uh, it was not not Ipanema, but the more the more famous uh, Copacabana Beach, right there on the coast. So uh, good. Um, in America, do do, uh, do do are there people who use a, a marinade as opposed to a dry rub on a, on pork, or is this is this just a Caribbean or or or, or uh, a mistake? I, I just don't know what's the what's the use. Yeah. I don't understand. Um, I guess you would get flavor in it. I'm I'm trying to think of a wet marinade that I've heard of before. Oh, there's the. Uh, well, it's not really. There's the uh, the the Al Pastor taco is yeah. kind of a wet marinade, and that's got uh, like pineapple juice. And yeah. What do they use now? Uh, like Coca Cola and chilies and cayenne. Um, but if you think of what the Coca Cola does, is you're adding you're adding, you know, like dark sugar flavor. Yeah, to that's it. right. Yeah. You know, people uh, actually, you know, in the in the deep south, people like to cook with Coca Cola. I mean, like a ham slice with Coca Cola. Oh or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not. It may not sound delicious, but you know, it makes sense. It is. Uh, so you know, I, I uh, from myself, I thought I was inventing a drink. Somebody asked for a whiskey sour at my house once, and I don't make whiskey. I didn't have any any uh, any of what I need. I didn't have fresh lemons, etc. So I uh, I took you know I put two or three ounces of whiskey and uh, some lemon juice and ice, and then topped it up with Coca Cola. And people who've been drinking whiskey sours all their life said it was delicious. So it actually is. I mean, there are a lot of uses you could put to it. It's a kind of authentic American junk product that has some uses. So let's talk about fire. I mean, we've uh, we, we've already talked about the how the uh, what kind of smoker to use and an offset fire better or keep the fire really low wherever it is. 
because obviously some people use charcoal, some people use all wood of different type or one type or more types. Some people, I, I, I always use a mixture. I start with charcoal because it's easy to get my fire going, you know, on a steady basis and then start piling wood on after that. What, what, uh, what do you recommend for the home barbecuer? Uh, whatever dry wood you, I mean, uh, there's some woods that you don't want to use necessarily. Like, like pine. Um, yeah, like pine. Pine, spruce, uh, but, uh, any, any of the juniper, any of those, uh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that what are they called? The, uh, the noble woods in, in, in Eastern Europe, when they, when they talk about grilling over things, you know, oftentimes they kind of, they save the, the noble wood like oak for, uh. For, you know, preparations that they really prize on. Um, but oak is great. Birch is great. Uh, cherry is great. Um, you know, really... Oh, I'm just printing those out right now. Yeah, just printing out the second side. Um, but I also... I remember talking with a, uh, a barbecue guy. Was it uh, like back in culinary school? Who told me that he just didn't understand why people... Would try and uh, would try and put any sort of difference because he'd smoked on banana peels before and seen the same result. Because his point being that by the time you had cooked down, um, you had burnt all the kind of flavoring profiles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you're just using the smoldering kind of carbon, and that itself is the flavoring agent and not anything specific in the wood. I'm not sure how much I buy that. Yeah, I, I buy it halfway, but um, but you know, if you taste uh, hickory smoked food, I don't I don't like smoking on hickory because, or at least not on all hickory, because there you do taste it, and that it sometimes is all you taste. Yeah. Now I prefer if you're going to smoke with hickory, I prefer the hickory tree's uh, more noble cousin, which is the pecan tree, which has a much gentler. Um, you know, uh, it's got a similar flavor, but it's more it's more subtle and less overwhelming. I, speaking personally, I I use oak because that's the logs I've got for the fireplace. And then, you know, if any fruit trees have been dropping limbs, which considering our lack of success with fruit trees, we often have some dead apple or pear branches or cherry, and oh, yeah. uh, we 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 so we use a mixture mostly. The, uh, the oak is our standard. I've learned really to like it because it doesn't overwhelm the food. It doesn't allow what? It doesn't overwhelm the food, unlike, oh, yeah. uh, unlike some things. So, uh, and so <clears throat> either, either uh, oak or birch or a mixture. Uh, I know a lot of people like fruit woods, and I don't know whether that's, as I do, but that whether, whether that's just a, a, a superstitious belief that the fruit wood is good. It, it certainly has a nice smell when it burns. I think it's the sound. Yeah. You apple know, applewood smoked bacon, for example. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, it smells good. Apple. Ooh, bacon has a sweet flavor to it. Why not? Yeah. What about uh, what if you had an endless supply of uh, nutshells? You know, pecan shells I and uh I don't see why nutshells would not work. Yeah. I throw them in you know, during the winter. I I usually throw them in the fire, but sometimes that is in the fireplace. But you know, if you just started throwing uh, throwing your nutshells in a in a box, as the year went on, you'd have quite a lot, and that that really that's a that's a strong that's a good tasting uh, wood product, I think. Absolutely. Well, let's now get into the heart of it. Let's say we've got an eight pound chunk of pork shoulder. Which we're gonna we're gonna rub it. How long uh, do you want the rub to sit on it for a day, or or, or can you put it? Can you put it onto the fire immediately? I've done both. Uh, I usually rub it in and then I put it in the refrigerator for a couple hours. And yeah. I'm not sure if that's more for convenience. You know, I usually like to. I usually do it before I start my fire. Yeah. Well, that's what I do, but that's because we're usually going off to church, and so I'll put the rub on before we go. And then let it sit, and then uh, for a couple of hours, and then come back and start it. But that's that's just strictly so I can uh, I can get it on quickly when I come back. Well, then how uh, we we build a let's say we have a thermometer on our uh, in the uh, in the smoking chamber. What temperature do we want to smoke it at, or what range of temperatures? 
Well, um, I like to do, uh, if we're only talking about pork shoulder, then there's a pretty standard way where you want to go about 180 to 200 for, you know, until your meat gets relatively tender, where it's not quite where you want it to be. Yeah. And that's because if you have that rub that I'm talking about, the one with the brown sugar, then... The issue is those will caramelize if you go above. If, you, if you're smoking at 225, 240, like that's 240 is usually too hot. Nobody yeah. really likes to go that high. But at the end, if you think about it just like roasting a steak or anything else like that, you don't – You with steaks, there's two opinions on like when you want the Maillard reaction or chemi- uh, caramelization reaction to happen. With barbecue, there's got to only be one way because that sugar, once it caramelizes, is just going to continue to caramelize, continue to caramelize, and you might end up with a bark that's not edible. You yeah. really want to go – it's like roux where you want to go as dark as humanly possible without burning. Yeah. So you would uh, so you would you would stoke it up a little bit hotter at the very end. Is that what you're Absolutely. saying? I, I would go up if I if I thought that I had another hour of smoking left and that was it. I would stoke it. I'd go two twenty five, two thirty, two. You know, even if it hit two forty for a couple minutes, as long as it's not seeing sooty flame. Yeah, I would be perfectly happy with that. So how how many hours at the at the temperature we recommended? Really, depending on the size of your meat, but I would say if we're talking the six to eight pounds, yeah, I would say last time I did one, I probably had about an eight pound roast, and we were smoking. We probably got a little hotter than I wanted it to, uh, and we were dealing with just embers, but they were large embers from the uh, from the uh, pizza oven. I put it on at about eleven o'clock, and I left here. It's probably ready by. Eight nine o'clock in the morning. So uh, ten hours. Yeah, ten hours. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Now you could do it. You could definitely do it in eight hours. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen a, a good a good barbecue in eight hours. Now when you're okay, we're, we're now we want it. We agree on this. Uh, not everybody does that. Uh, you want it to where <clears throat> it's it's still the meat still has some integrity. I mean, it's even it, it's fork tender virtually, but it's still it's still got a little of a, a little bit of resilience so that it it holds a shape. You don't have to shred it. You don't want it. You don't want it in uh, you know just completely jerked to pieces. But uh, then, how do we serve it? Well, what I like, which I think is is the best way to do it, is to get a large wooden board, and then hopefully maybe gravy gravy things to not make a mess, like little gravy moats around it, and then with with gloves or or hot mitts, carry your now beautifully smoked six seven pounds of cooked meat out to a table with people looking, and lift it three or four feet off from the top of the board and let it drop with a resounding thud. And then at that point, you have a large fork and a knife and you start chopping it, mm-hmm. which I like. Uh, it's a chop pull is my favorite where yeah. you do have sections that pull apart when it sees that nice fat line, but sure. it should be evenly smoked to the point where you can't just mush it into baby food. Right. Uh, and you do have chunks that are, that are larger chunks that you could easily mush with your fork, but it still kind of keeps its state. And then at this point you have what I like, uh, technically I can't get my, nobody calls it when they do a barbecue. Oh, they call it a mop and barbecue. I call it a gas streak. Um, because it's a reduction of a sugar and an acid. And it's uh, my favorite, which is even different from what it's, – it's slightly different. It just has a, a little few more things than what John Reed has. is uh, It's chili flake, cider vinegar, a little water, a touch of honey, and a touch of dry mustard powder. And you just bring that up to a simmer, and then that's what you uh, – you salt your meat because you, you want to make sure you're in – you taste it because clearly your exterior might have seasoned the entire thing. Usually it doesn't, but you add a little bit of salt to your now chopped meat, and then you kind of you bless it with the uh, bless it with the mop. So, what if somebody says, "Hey, uh, I want some uh, I want some uh, Kansas City thick tomato sauce, and I want to put it all over the meat." What is it, what is the response to that? 
you shouldn't just boil. Don't smoke your meat. Then just yeah. put it in the put it like cook it in the oven. And then you know well, until it's for, yeah. fall apart tender, and then put it on a bun and squeeze your ketchup sauce. Well, my answer is that's what the coiled rope in the corner is for. <laughs> <laughs> I once at my office, I, I I smoked this pork all day long, you know, and it was really it was very beautiful. And then uh, some one of my colleagues came in with this just really goopy, tomatoey, sugary sauce, and he starts giving it to people. And I said, this is a travesty. I said, if anybody puts that on my smoked pork, then they've, they've made an enemy for life. Uh, mm. But uh, so I, uh, yeah, I feel rather strongly on that. They well, have the, uh, the, the, the style uh, in the Piedmont here, the Lexington style. Uh, it does use... And I don't know how long ago it goes back, but they do have a barbecue sauce, which is – and this is where it, it's not – I think I think when I'm saying it uses ketchup, I, I, I don't know if you've had it, Dad. It is not a barbecue sauce yeah. like Smoky Pete's barbecue sauce. Right. It's essentially what I've just described, yeah. except it's a little redder because they've used the ketchup as both the vinegar and the yeah. chili yeah. but it also comes with and and the honey they're used cuz it really hits yeah. all those notes and guess what else is in ketchup dry mustard yeah, yeah. except it's also got coriander and corn syrup in it which i'd rather use honey yeah. and you know I, I it just doesn't i get what they're doing yeah. but it's not and it's still soupier and more like a mop than it really is yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a kind of barbecue sauce yeah. Okay, well, I think we've, uh, if anybody can't uh, produce a decent pork shoulder this weekend or the, for the rest of their life, then it, it is not your fault or my fault in the way we have gone about it. I think, uh, I think we're, we're re- ready to go, to, uh, to, to go outside and grab a lawnmower beer and st- start the process. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks for being with us again, and, uh, and thank you to all our subscribers out there and listeners and uh, let me know how your pork barbecue turns out thank you very much thank you for listening to a podcast of the fleming foundation all rights are reserved these podcasts are made possible by our paid members who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly not on a volunteer basis if you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, make the most of a dark age.